Hey, if, if you don't know me, my name is Matt Murphy. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and I'm super happy to, to be up here um, preaching today to you. Uh, hopefully you already have your Bibles open to, to Matthew chapter 9. Well, you'll be happy to know we are finishing up Matthew chapter 9 today, and next week we're diving into Matthew chapter 10 as we continue this journey in Matthew that, that we, we love and are enjoying. Um, before we go into this, I just want to start with a question to just kind of like gear our minds. And, and that question is, is there a desire in your heart to, to see lives changed? Is, is there a desire to, to see people turn to God, to see hearts changed, to see people welcomed into the kingdom and respond to the gospel? Um, is that in your heart? And hopefully it is. Uh, it, it, you know, it should be. And if it is, um, there's, there's a role we have to play in that, which, which we'll see here today in Matthew chapter 9. So what's going on here is this sort of like bridge section between, from, like the, we, we've gone through chapters 8 and 9, and those are, or, um, yeah, 8 and 9, and those are kind of together. Um, and, and now we're moving into a new section. So he bridges it, uh, and this kind of guides us in. And it's actually like bracketed all the way back in, in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, he says the same thing. Jesus collects a few of his uh, disciples, and he says, he, he, uh, Matthew writes, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So that's like he, he started um, doing that. And, uh, you know, he, he describes, uh, uh, he, he, he does that and describes the, the general sort of um, uh, message of it. So he's going to all these towns and villages, mostly around the area of Galilee where his ministry is at, and he's doing three primary things. He's teaching in their synagogues. And note here that the language Matthew uses is probably uh, to, to already sort of draw a distinction in, in their synagogues, not in the synagogue. Um, it, it's likely showing this distinction because we know like Jesus and the religious authorities are going to end up, you know, uh, rubbing up against each other. They don't like him. So he's, he's teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the gospel, uh, the, the reality of this kingdom of God that has been prophesied. It's near and the time now is to repent and believe, and he's healing every disease and every sickness. So as many people are being brought to him with sickness, uh, um, he is healing them. He's got power over it. And Matthew's shown, right, and uh, uh, he sums up here like what, what Jesus' teaching is all about. So, for, you know, for he's like, this is what he began to do, and then he dives in and looks at it deeper. You have the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, where he's teaching these things that are, that are strange and convicting, but like they're, they're life-giving and, and challenging. And, and people are like, man, he's teaching like one with authority. And, and then in 8 and 9, it's, he's got these healing miracles that um, his power over sin and, and darkness and to where he's like stepping into sin and touching ritually unclean people and making them whole and clean in an instant. And he's even uh, uh, forgiving sin, right? Like, He's got authority in his teaching and his miracles and, and power and healing, they show his authority as well. Um, and so Matthew says, like, as he's doing this, right, he's starting to draw crowds. People are interested and intrigued. They're coming. And Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. Uh, and, and, and like, for us, it looks like when he saw the crowds at a specific time, this is likely like as he's going throughout, he's, he's seeing all these people uh, and he feels compassion for them. And that word for compassion, it's, it's like this 
sympathetic concern that's like in your gut. Like in your gut, you, you feel, you see the reality of these people and you feel deep like th- their need and have concern for them. And it's interesting that this word is only ever used about Jesus or specifically by him in parables. Um, so, like he sees the reality of what's going on with them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Um, these crowds who are, who are looking for healing, looking for the sicknesses to be healed, are looking for demons to be cast out, in uh, responding intrigued by his teaching, um, like they're interested in, and he's got concern for them because he realizes what's going on, right? They're like sheep without a shepherd. The language of sheep is familiar for the nation of Israel, that they're often referenced as sheep. And one thing we know about the domesticated animal, the sheep, is, is they're just not good on their own. They're a prey animal. Left to their own devices, they're going to be easily hunted and killed or slaughtered. Or if there's no uh, prey animal around to get them, they're going to get caught up in thorns and, and hurt and maimed. Like we've all seen videos maybe where there's a sheep who hides in a cave for like five years and he's just like super puffy and looking all goofy and stuff. Like sheep aren't, aren't meant to be on their own. They need a shepherd. Um, Moses, as uh, he's about to die, prays to God in Numbers 27 uh, verse 16. He says, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and will come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. Like that, they need someone to guide them and, and show them what to do, right? Like they need someone to specifically point out like, hey, here's food, eat that. There you go, there's water. All right, now come back in the field because left to their own, like they, they mess it up. This tracks for them, right? Like God miraculously saves them from Egypt and leads them out in the Exodus and, and, and takes them to Mount Sinai where they, they like, his glory comes on this uh, uh, mountain in a cloud and he gives them audibly the Ten Commandments. Like he speaks to them and they're terrified. They're like, we can't even go near this. Moses, you need to go up. We can't go near this because we're going to die. And Moses goes up and he's gone for 40 days. And then they like, they, they make golden uh, uh, calves, the idols there, right? Like he, he's specifically told to, by, by God, not to. And, and they do it, right? Like on their own, um, as, as scripture proves to us and as our own lives prove to us, uh, they're just going to mess things up often. Uh, and so like God is often looked at as the, the good, a good shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in, in John, and uh, David calls uh, God, he, he looks at him like a shepherd in Psalms 23, where he says, he lets me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. There's a sense where like, he, he provides for us and leads us to what we need. And without that, Israel's lost. The, the state of Israel in the current day is like helpless sheep, because their leaders, these people who, who are supposed to guide them along this path in following God and guide them along this path of righteousness, they failed at their jobs. This is how Jesus sees them and how Ezekiel writes about them in, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 1 to 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend to the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, 
healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled over them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Like that's the state of what's going on. And look at what Jesus does, right? In, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34, right? You've not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Like that's what Jesus is doing here. He's beginning, he's showing like he is the leader that, that they need. He's the, the one they need to save them. He's the good shepherd. Uh, we know Jesus has a lot to say about the sorry state of the religious leaders of the day. They've not fed the sheep, and God's people have suffered for it. They're de- uh, distressed and dejected, harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. And he sees this, and he says to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And notice what he says here, like these distressed people, these helpless and and dejected, they're they're ripe for entrance into the kingdom of God. Like you know who can easily respond to the gospel, to the the good news, the message of Jesus, the people who know they need it. The the people who know there's something missing, like God is a holy God and and there's something in me, like I'm sinful and I need something to bridge that, or, or who just know that like, this is not how life is, is meant to be. And, and like, I need something outside of myself, right? Like those are people who, who can respond to the gospel. The harvest is abundant. The field is ready. These are people who are aching to hear the good news. Thirsty people who need to drink from a living well that never runs dry. Hungry people who need to eat the bread of life and be totally satisfied, never hungry again, spiritually sated. Like, don't you get it? Jesus is saying, these are people who are ready to hear about me. They need to hear about me. But right now, in this passage, Jesus, uh, while he is fully God, is, is fully man. Right? Like, in the doctrine of the incarnation, Jesus enters into the world, and, and he's, he subjects himself to time and space. He's not everywhere at once as he's going about doing this. Right? And so there's tons of people who need to hear, and, and he's the only one laboring in the field. Pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. Now, when we look at the word of God, uh, we, we always have to do the legwork of going like, hey, how's what is happening here thousands of years ago in a different culture? Like, what truths does this teach me about God that are, that are universal for all time, right? Like, what is what's going on here? Teach me about God so that it applies in some way to my life or, or how I should think about God or what I should do. And, like, I know you're probably thinking, it's not that hard to bridge the gap here 2,000 years later. It's, it's almost easy. Distressed and dejected, harassed and helpless. Look around you. Is that not the world we live in? Were people perpetually unsatisfied? The entertainment we seek, it doesn't last. We need more of it, and we need it quicker. The pleasure never fills. We're left empty. The affection of those around us never like truly meets our need. It's never good enough. We live in a generation where we're more connected than ever by communication. We can communicate across miles in under a second, and yet we consistently hear stories of loneliness and depression, a disconnected generation despite all this technology. 
I had a friend uh, a couple years back at work who, who I would talk to, and, and I would say like, oh yeah, this week, you know, me and my friends talked about this, and we did this. And it got to one point where she was like, how do you have friends? Like, you're 30 years old. How do you have friends that you're consistently seeing? Like, it was, it was crazy, right? Like, th- th- there's just this disconnection in a lot of people's lives. Those friends were a community group. Like, that's why I saw them, because on my own, in, in my sort of Western individual mindset, I probably would have just stayed in my house. We got people morally outraged at everything with no consistent basis for that morality. People crying out for justice with no idea of who the ultimate and worthy judge is, who can give it, who is wholly good. If you read the news and really read it and see what's going on in the headlines, like you can see between the lines, right? There's corruption, poverty, greed, licentiousness, depravity, hatred, anger. If the average headline that you read on the news doesn't show you shepherdless sheep wandering in the dark who need to, to see some hope of the light, I, I don't know what does. And Jesus says that those people are a grain ripe for harvesting. These distressed, dejected people, that they're ready to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. He, he says that to the disciples there, and he says that to us now. In our first response, in, in again, our, our Western kind of mindset is like, cool, what do I need to do? Like, like let's get some plans in place. Let's get some programs. Like, we got to push into this like crazy because, like, there's a problem and now I need to solve it. And, and thanks be to God, like, that's not the case. Jesus says, no, the, the first thing you need to do when you really see this problem, when you really see, like, the, this lack that, that people need to hear about and, and, and they need to be brought in the kingdom and they're ready to be brought in the kingdom, recognize it's not on you. It's not your ultimately up to you to, to fulfill it, to, to do it. it. It's up to God. Go find a quiet place, sit down, and start praying. Pray to God to send workers into his harvest. Like, it, it's a blessing that it's, that it's immediately, okay, like, this, this is not, like, I need to trust and lean on God for this. And so there's three things I want us to see, uh, hopefully, in this passage today. And the first one is that prayer is foundational. Prayer is foundational. Maybe you're you're like me sometimes where you can get in this kind of deterministic, fatalistic mindset where it's like God's sovereign and he's going to do his will and he's going to do whatever he wants. So like, I, I don't need to do that much. Like I used to jump out of planes for a living. Like I hate parachuting, but every time I would be up there, I'd be like, ah, you know, like whatever. God wants me to die, I'm going to die. So I'm like just going to walk out, right? Like, in God is sovereign. He sits enthroned above all creation over ev- heaven and earth. Everything is subject to him. It all belongs to him. And he will do his holy will. But, but he's determined that, that he will do his sovereign will in response to our prayers. Like, it, it's, it's crazy. 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, according to his will is doing a lot of lifting there, he hears us. And we know that if he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we ask of him. We get to partner alongside God in his mission of redemption, of redeeming the world to himself, of reconciliation. And we get to pray for his will to be done. Like, I need to not be slothful in my prayer. I need to be persistent, recognizing that the, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. 
Prayer matters, and God responds to our prayers, and perhaps there are times where he waits until you pray. Prayer is foundational to to the mission of, of welcoming and bringing people into the kingdom of God. Number two, when you pray, pray expectantly. And what do I mean by that? If you look at verse 38, it says, Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. A lot of times there's, there's places in uh, the New Testament where it talks about harvest and the idea of like the wheat and the chaff and the chaff is going to get thrown in the fire at the end. And that's talking about a future judgment. This isn't talking about that right now. This is, um, it, it's the Lord of the harvest and his harvest. Recognize that this field that's, that's ready, it belongs to God. It's his. He, he, he has ownership over it. Like, and do you pray for people like that? Do I pray for people like that? Do I pray for God to send people to proclaim his gospel to them and for them to respond as if they already belong to him, as if they're already his harvest? What would it look like if we did that? Like if we were a church where, where we prayed to God to do something big and expected him to, we prayed to, to God to save like just everybody in Canyon View, so many people, and expected him to actually work and do that in response to our prayers. Like I can't tell you how often my heart prays with this sort of sense of like, hey God, I, just, I pray that you would do this. And then there's this like little thing in the back that's like, but, but you're not going to. I, I know you're not. Like I know you won't. I know you can, but I know you won't. Like, if I were honest, that's typically the mindset I go into with things like that. Sometimes, like, you pray for miracles or big things to happen, expect them to do it, but I never, almost never have that same expectation when it comes to changing someone's heart. Like, there's nothing in the world harder to change than someone's heart, and I can't do it. The Holy Spirit is in the business of changing people's hearts. That's what he does. Makes them sensitive to things of God. Makes them recognize and be convicted of their sin and a holy God and respond to the gospel. He, he does it. So we should, we should pray for it and believe it. Pray expectantly, ready, hopeful for God to work through our prayers. Because the harvest belongs to him. And then uh, number three is pray with your sandals on, or most of the, if you're the most of the youth kids here, with your Crocs on. And, and what I mean by that is you'll see if you read a few verses further in chapter 10, uh, he tells the disciples, right, like here he tells the disciples, pray for, the, uh, for God, the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And, you know, they're, they're his disciples. Obviously, they, they do what he commands, and they spend time praying. And then he comes to them later, and he's like, hey, I'm giving you authority. You're going to go out and do this. Like, you're, you're the answer to those prayers. You, through, through God, he's going to use you as the answer to these prayers. Prayers not only we, we make our petitions known to God, he makes his will known to us. He makes our hearts sensitive to things. You are, are, are created by God as a specific person, individually, like he knows you. You have certain desires in you that, that are there for a reason. So you, you, you pray and pray as you feel led, and, and there might be a reason you feel led that way. And, and by led, I mean like there, there, there might be cultures or people or people at work or people at your school or, or, or countries that you just, you just feel burdened for, right? Like you just feel some sort of pull to them. There might be a reason for that. Certainly you should be persistent in praying for them, but, the, but there might be more to that reason, 
Pray for laborers, but pray in a way where you're ready and willing if it turns out you're one of the ones called. We're all called to this. We're all involved in prayer. We're all involved in pushing the gospel forward. Certain people will be called to go to other countries, right? Certain people will be called to areas in the city where they just feel their heart burden. Recognize the first thing you do is pray and be ready for God to call you in that. You might be part of his answer to that. We're all laborers in some way. And so hopefully, like, that's really tangible for you to, to hold on to. Uh, just to make sure, I want to give you, uh, like, a couple explicitly tangible things, like, as we close. First, I, I want to talk to those of you who aren't in Christ. You who Jesus would call shepherdless sheep. Like, maybe you're sensitive to hearing this. You, you hear some part of you in it. Like, you're wandering through life, distressed and dejected, Nothing satisfies, nothing fills, you're empty and hollow. Maybe you came in here alone because you're looking to hear something. Like, recognize that, like that's what Jesus does. He came to, to, to heal the sick, to, 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 to leave the 99 sheep and go after the one, to seek out the lost and bring them into his kingdom. God says in his word today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, while it's still called today, you can respond. The kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus Christ who died and was resurrected so that you might be able to belong to it, so that you might be called a son and daughter of the Most High King. Your shepherd is calling you to enter his rest, to have life and have it in abundance. While it's still called today, return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So those of you who are in Christ, like you have a mission and a purpose. I want you to hear this from 1 Peter chapter 2 and recognize this is about you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If, if what we believe about God is true and the hope we have in him and the life eternally that we have in him, how could we ever sit in apathy as countless go around us without knowing him? How, how could we not be spurned to action, filled with with? sympathetic concern for them. We've got a glorious hope in God that the rest of the world is ready to hear and respond to. Partner with God in prayer. Like specifically, start a journal. Write down specific people's names. I always start in concentric circles. I pray for my household first. There's nothing I want more in life than for my children to know and love God. It's like that's where I start. I pray for specific people in my neighborhood places in my city, students in Canyon View, and, 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 and like I have a country that, that I feel burdened for and, and some missionaries there who I pray for constantly, like pray, find people to pray for, look for it, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in you if there are any people or any places you feel pulled to and start praying for them because that's where it starts. Pray for workers and be ready for God to use you in whatever way he may to reap his harvest. Would you pray with me? God, you, you are good and awesome and amazing, Lord.
Um, in you, we have such a hope through Jesus Christ, a hope in our salvation, a hope in life in you, a hope in our membership of the kingdom as sons and daughters of you. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would be with everyone here and you would fill them with eyes to see this hope that they have, see hope in you, and then to see the need of those around them and be burdened by it, Lord. Be, be burdened to pray and intercede for those people, for the Holy Spirit to work in their city, in their lives, in their homes, to lead people to you. God, God I pray that you would just make us, make Salt Church a, a people who fight in prayer for the world and its darkness around them to, to be brought to you. In Jesus' name, amen.